The end of the world has long been a popular subject of books, TV, and films. Meteors speeding toward the earth to smash it into tiny bits. Nuclear war leaving the planet empty and lifeless. Intelligent machines replacing the humans that made them. Flesh-eating zombies roving the landscape. Apes enslaving humans. It could, good. If it's in the movies, you know it could be true. Being assimilated by an alien cybernetic collective. A rogue virus killing us off, killing us all off. A collision between parallel universes that deletes us. Aliens vaporizing us with their death rays. If you didn't know any better, you might think we are fascinated with our own demise. Now, I don't want to be seen as some kind of whacked-out doomsday prophet wearing a tinfoil hat and a sandwich board that says the world is ending. But the world, as we know it, is going to end one day. The stories about the end of the world that we invent for ourselves seldom look beyond the end of the world. When the world ends, that's it. But that isn't the story that God has written. His story for us doesn't end like that. In the story that God has written for us, all of the stuff that makes this world awful is going to be wiped out, but it isn't going to stop there. The one who's going to end this world as we know it has a bigger plan in mind for us than just destruction. He's the author of life, and he's going to establish good in our world. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth that will be free from evil and pain and selfishness and corruption and hatred and discord and jealousy. It will instead be a place of love and joy and peace and goodness. I used to have a really hard time with the idea that the world is going to end. I used to think, you know, this world has a lot of problems, but it's the only world we have. I really don't want to lose it. I still feel that way. But I also understand that God's love for this world is a whole lot more than mine. And he has every intention of rescuing everything on this planet that's worth rescuing before it blows up. He made this world, and he has far more invested in it than I do. We can trust him with this world's future. He's not going to do anything stupid or rash with this planet and the people we love who are living on this planet. Well, we're going to complete our study through the book of Daniel today. So if you've got your Bible, you can make your way over to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter of the book. Beginning in verse 1, it says, At that time Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Begins with at that time. Chapter 12 
of Daniel is a continuation of what has been happening in Daniel chapter 10 and chapter 11, which is a vision given to Daniel about the last days of human rule. It says, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. And remember, this is uh, who we believe to be Gabriel speaking to Daniel. And as we noted in Daniel 10, 21, Michael is the angel who watches over the people of Israel. Jude, verse 9, tells us that Michael is not just any angel. He's the archangel, the chief, the highest ranking, the leader of the angels. Daniel is told that during this awful time of trial and trouble that is coming for his people, the angel Michael will come to their aid. Hebrews 1.14 is an interesting verse about angels. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The Lord has commissioned his angels to watch over and care for those who are going to inherit salvation. So there are angels watching over nations and over peoples and over individuals as the Lord directs. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until now. A great persecution of the people of God will take place in the last days led by the Antichrist. The level of evil and cruelty will be unlike anything that the world has ever seen before. There's a description by Jesus of this time that's coming over in Matthew chapter 24. Verse 15, Jesus is speaking and he says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. What a frightening thing to think about. If God had not intervened, humanity would not survive, Jesus says. But for the sake of God's people, he will break into the stream of human history at that time through the second coming of Jesus Christ and put a stop to the suffering and the evil and the madness. If we skip over to Matthew 24, 29, Jesus Continues, he says, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. If we go back to... Daniel 12, he said, But at that time, your people, Daniel, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. The people who will be delivered or rescued or saved out of this terrible time will be those who are really God's people, those who have believed in his Messiah, those whose names are written in the book of life. 
Our name is written in the book of life when we receive Jesus Christ into our life and we're born again by the Spirit of God, making us a child of God, living in fellowship with Him. If you are a believer, your name is written in the book of life. If you've received Christ as your Savior. Verse 2 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. We have here a reference to the resurrection of the dead. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Again, here's what Jesus said describing the resurrection in John chapter 5, verse 25. He says, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of, God, Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned." Verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So there's a promise of reward and glorification for those who recognize and trust in the Messiah and point others to Him. People often equate suffering and pain in their life with God being angry with them or punishing them or abandoning them. And we see in these verses that that is not universally true. Here, the Lord's people are those who are going to suffer tremendously during this time, but afterward will receive great reward from the Lord. He's not angry with them. He's not abandoning them. He's not punishing them. He comes to rescue. But you, Daniel... Roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So Daniel is instructed here to roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Sealing the scroll is not to keep its contents a secret from everybody, but to preserve and to protect it from being tampered with and changed. Although this vision will be encouraging and helpful for God's people throughout the ages, including our own, even as we live today, it will be of particular value and interest to God's people at the time of the end. This vision is for them in particular, so it's important that it be preserved for them, sealed, so that these words are not lost. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Some think this means there will be a frantic and futile attempt by people to find answers to the troubles taking place at the time through secular knowledge, while this scroll containing the vision of God that he has given to Daniel will have the answers that they seek. Some think this means that as the end time approaches, the understanding of these prophecies will also increase. We don't know for sure. Verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters, 
of the river. How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by himself, who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. Daniel is still on the bank of the Tigris River as this vision is taking place. Uh, And the scene described here is a little confusing. And in the original Hebrew language, it's apparently even less definite than the English translations make it sound. It's believed that there are two angels here on either side of the Tigris River and the man clothed in linen above the water is Christ as we saw too in Daniel 10 verses 4 through 6. The messenger angel believed to be Gabriel who has been with Daniel throughout this vision is also still present. And one of these other two angels on the banks of the river asked the question, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Another way of wording that question based on how it's answered is how long shall these things continue once they begin to occur? The man in linen above the waters answered, it will be for a time, times and half a times. Well, we saw this same expression used in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. You might remember if you were here then when it was talking about the final days. The meaning is the same here as it was there. It's usually taken to mean that a time refers to a year. Times refers to two years. And we have half a time referring to half a year. So add it all together, we have one plus two plus a half for three and a half years total. And this agrees with the previous visions that Daniel has had regarding the final week of seven years, which is broken into two halves of three and a half years each. So the answer to the question is that the terrible time of suffering will last for three and a half years, and then the Lord will come and put an end to all of it. Verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Can you sympathize with Daniel? I can. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. Indeed. We are hearing, we're reading, but we don't understand all of this. We find ourselves puzzled by much of what we see in these visions by Daniel Daniel asked for more explanation. But he's told that he's not going to be given more explanation of the vision. He says that instead he's told, go your way, Daniel. I've told you all that I'm going to tell you. It's for those at the end of time. And you know, this is helpful for us too. Not not understanding all that these visions mean is not a deficiency on our part. These things will be made clear to those who find themselves in the midst of these things. And if some of us are among those at the end, which we may very well be, those things will become clear to us as an important source of encouragement and strength when we need them to be. 
10. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. The difficult times that are coming will have a positive effect on the true believers. They will be purified, made spotless, and refined by the fires of persecution. Persecution has always had a positive effect upon the people of God. We all dread it. None of us want it to happen in our life. But whenever the people of God have been put in the fire of persecution, it has ultimately worked for the good of the kingdom of God. The most potentially dangerous and harmful thing for the people of God in this life is comfort and ease. The thing that we want most is the most dangerous thing for us. Comfort and ease. That's not what we want to hear, is it? I don't want to hear that. I'm sure you don't want to hear that either. But as we look back through church history, we know it's true. While the true people of God will be purified in these hard times, the wicked, it says, will continue to act wickedly. The true character of the wicked will be brought out in the same way that the true character of the godly will be brought out. Intense pressure applied to the life, it brings to the surface what is hidden underneath, both the good and the bad. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. The wise who are living at that time will understand the meaning of these visions. And who are the wise? It's the people who open their heart up to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. As mentioned already, this prophecy will be a great comfort and encouragement to those who are living in those last days. How will this vision be helpful to them? It doesn't tell them how to escape this awful time. It doesn't tell them where to hide or where to find some weapons that they can use to fight with or some secret codes to put into the computer system to bring the whole thing down or some other kind of thing in that way to get an advantage over the enemy. No, that's not how it will be helpful. It will be helpful to them because they will know that what they are going through is not some random occurrence. They will know that it isn't going to last forever. They will know God is going to rescue them and bring his victory in the end. They will know there will be great reward waiting for them on the other side of it. We should keep in mind that just because we don't understand these prophecies very well at the moment, it doesn't mean that the end is not near. The beginning of the end could come at any moment. We're told that. Several times in Scripture, one place, for example, is 1 Thessalonians 5.1. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Verse 11. From the the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. 
The time periods given here are a bit of a mystery for us. The first time period of 1,290 days equates to about three and a half years, which corresponds with the three and a half years given in verse 7, marking the beginning of the great time of suffering. The additional 45 days for a total of 1,335 days, that is a mystery. I've read a number of possible explanations for what this is about, but none of them are very convincing. Everyone kind of like goes, well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> the people of God who are alive at the time, they will know. That's what I can say. They will know. They will understand what's being talked about here. Verse 13, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Daniel has promised that he'll be raised up to eternal life, that he'll receive his inheritance among the saints of God. It says here, go your way till the end. The message given to Daniel is the same for us who are followers of Jesus. We need to go our way till the end. We're to live out our lives as people hoping in the imminent coming of Jesus Christ and continuing to serve Him with our life until that day comes. We need to go our way till the end. Now, this brings us to the end of the book, and I will say that some of you may be disappointed that... I have not filled in more details about the things that will take place in the last days. But as I've said before, no one really knows what some of these prophecies mean on a detailed level. I have already speculated about the meaning of some of what we have read in these latter chapters of Daniel, and I honestly don't think adding more speculation on top of speculation does us a lot of good. We know that Jesus Christ is coming back, and it's important that we be ready for that day. Some might be thinking, oh, you've been talking about the second coming of Jesus for as long as we can all remember, but things continue as they always have. And you know, Peter, he faced that same criticism in his day, didn't he? You might remember in 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 3, he wrote this in his letter. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But, not, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A common concern that many believers have is for people we know and love who we fear may not be ready when Jesus Christ comes back. The thought, the thought of someone we care about not making it would put a damper on the joy and celebration of heaven for us. I don't know how the Lord is going to work all of that out in all of its detail, but because we're not told. I have to trust in who he is, in who he is. I know that God is good. I know that God is fair and just and kind and merciful. I know that when the final curtain is dropped, no one will accuse God of not being fair. Everyone will be satisfied. Everyone will be satisfied with how he handles all of this in the end. And the heavens, the heaven, where we will be, will be full of joy for all who are there. What's important for you and me in this present time is to act on what we have and what we know and to respond to the call that God has placed before us. We need to trust the future to him and live for him in the present that he's given us. And remember, in the story that God has written for us, all of the stuff that makes this world awful is going to be wiped out. But it's not going to stop there. His story for us is different. The one who's going to end this world as we know it has a bigger plan in mind than just destruction. He's the author of life. He's going to establish good in our world. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That means it's going to be a heaven and earth that will be free from evil and pain and selfishness and corruption and hatred and discord and jealousy. It will instead be a place of love and joy and peace and goodness. And this is what we look forward to. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the prophet Daniel. We thank you for his words that he recorded, that you gave him for us in our own time to learn from, to be encouraged and strengthened by. And Lord, we look forward to your coming. We pray that we will live lives that are ready and anticipating, look forward to being prepared for your coming.
We ask that you would touch our hearts and fill them with your hope and your peace. You continue your good work in us, Lord, that you've already started through Jesus. In his name we ask these things. Amen.